Let's take our Bibles again this morning and turn to Mark chapter 8. By now you should start beginning a worn spot in your Bible that opens to Mark. Mark chapter 8. And our text this morning will be verses 22 to 26. Mark writes, starting in verse 22, And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him, he asked, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again this morning before we tackle our text this morning. Heavenly Father, we again ask that your Holy Spirit would take your word and illuminate it to our hearts. We pray that you would again give us eyes to see, that you would give us the ability to obey, and I pray again that you would use your word to again conform us to the image of Christ for your glory, to give us a deeper love that we might worship him in a better way, in a more accurate way. And so this morning again, build your church by making it more mature and more in the image of Christ in your name. Amen. Blindness. Blindness. Surprisingly, blindness is still one of the greatest uh, diseases that is taking place in the Middle East. In fact, in one city, it was estimated in the Middle East that there were 20% of the people were still dealing with sight problems, with blindness. That's a lot. Now, the Middle East is a place where, the, where blindness is often comes because of the climate. It is a dry climate. It is a climate that has very much dust in the air. And also, from, from the fig trees and the pollen that comes, it irritates the eyes. And what ends up happening is there's a bacteria called trachoma that ultimately gets in the people's eyes as they rub and it starts to infect their eyes to the point finally that if not treated by any of our modern medicines brings blindness. It brings blindness. And so there's this this problem in the Middle East, especially for the poor people, that they end up becoming blind because they are not treated from this disease. And this is certainly something that was taking place in the Middle East at Christ's time. People were, there was a high account of of blindness because there was no cure for it. And therefore people would get infected, they would rub their eyes, other people would get it, and they ultimately would become blind. And it was a a severe physical problem, and it's not a surprise to find Christ healing many who were blind. 
But physical blindness is sad and it's difficult. But there's a much greater blindness that is much with much greater consequences, and that is spiritual blindness. It is an inability to see spiritual truth. It's an inability to perceive what is true and what is right. It is an inability to agree with the truth. It's an unwillingness, even when one sees the truth, to grab it. And blindness is seen through Scripture as a picture of spiritual blindness. Physical blindness is is a picture of spiritual blindness. And Mark is really a book that is trying to address in some way spiritual blindness because from the very beginning, the book of Mark, he is giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he's trying to demonstrate to us who Jesus Christ is. Because there are those, this is the gospel to the Gentiles, remember, there are those out there who do not know who Christ is. They cannot see him for who he is. And therefore, Mark is about to give us proofs as to who Jesus is. Is, uh, is, the, is the speaker a louder back here? Because I'm getting a lot of feedback. Okay. Every time I step in front here, I get a... Okay, all right, all right. Okay, I'm just getting a lot of, I step here, I'm very loud, I step over here, I'm very quiet. So maybe you want me over here, but all right. So from the very beginning of this book, we have been seeing that there is this, this necessity to have spiritual light. And he is trying to show us who Jesus is, the Son of God. But what has been demonstrated over and over again to his, from his audience is two things. They are either spiritually blind and they cannot see at all. Or they have some spiritual sight, but they're very, very dull. And this is really what has been taking place as we have come into chapter 8. Is there's this, is this picture of those who are spiritually blind. We started with the Pharisees in in verse 11 who are completely spiritually blind. In fact, the more light they get, the more hardened they get to the truth. They don't want to see who Christ is. They want to trip him up. They, They are completely set in their unbelief. And they have no concept of who Christ really is. And so they are completely spiritually blind. And then we have the disciples, really a different kind of blindness. Maybe we call it dullness. Because they have been with Christ from, from the beginning. He has called them almost from the very beginning of his public ministry. And they have seen him and they have been with him. And they have witnessed all that he has done. And yet over and over and over again, they demonstrate that they really clearly don't see who he is yet. And though he has given them ample opportunity. He has not only they've been with him when he is in, in his general ministry, but he has drawn them into that inner circle who, is un, who has been given information about the kingdom as he's given them the parables. They have been in his intimate circle, and yet they are slow to learn. And so this morning as we come to our text, 
we're really going to see the cure for spiritual blindness. We're going to see the cure for spiritual blindness. It is necessary because we still have these two groups who are not spiritually perceptive. One completely blind and one who is still struggling to understand the truths of Christ. And so this morning as we look, we will see really that spiritual blindness is not something that we can actually get for ourselves. We can't get the cure ourselves. This is something that is going to have to be given to us. It is something that we cannot earn, not something that we cannot create on our own, but is necessary to be touched by Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we go to our text, let us go look and see the cure for spiritual blindness. Well, we start with the place the place to come for spiritual blindness. In verse 22, And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. So here again is recording the disciples. Remember, they have been, they were just arguing over bread as they were coming across the Sea of Galilee. They are, uh, they have just left the confrontation with the Pharisees that they had on the, Jew, on, the, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so as they are now arriving to the other side, they come to the city of Bethsaida. Now Bethsaida is a, a town that is located just on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, just kind of on the east side, really on the edge of Galilee and yet, yet just inside of Decapolis. It is still has a, a great Jewish influence in it. It's actually called Bethsaida Julia because Philip actually uh, took this town, this village, and rebuilt it and made it into a city. And he named it Julia after Caesar's daughter. And so here they arrive at this town. And it says they came to Bethsaida. Probably better they went into Bethsaida. The idea here is not that they're... They're just arriving at the outside, but the idea is that they're in the street, maybe in the square. And this second they does not refer to the, the disciples in Christ, but refers to a group of friends or neighbors or acquaintances of a blind man, and they bring him to Jesus. So they recognize that this man is blind. They recognize that his only hope is Christ, and they implored him to touch him. So again, this group comes and they are they are not just the idea of imploring is that they are begging like this is this is the same word that was used when the the demons were didn't want to get thrown into the pit they were begging Jesus and they are begging Jesus they want to him to heal him they recognize that this is the place that they must come this is the only hope that this man has and so they said please touch him touch him he, if you will only touch him, he will be healed. And so it is, it is clear that the people understood that Jesus healed through touch. Now, it should not be a surprise because this is what Jesus did when he healed people, did he not? Remember back in chapter, is it chapter 2? Where, where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And what does he do? He reaches down and what? Touches her. He grabs her, right? He lifts her up. He, this is the way that he heals. 
He is one who doesn't, unlike the Pharisees who stay away from the unclean, who stay away from those who are less than, those who they consider are defiled, Christ is the one who tries, comes and heals. And so Christ is the one who touched the leper, remember? He had compassion on him and he what? Touched him. He touched him. Christ is the one who touched the woman. Remember, she reached out, touched his garment, and her bleeding stops. He's the one who touched Darius' daughter, and she was healed. And so these people understand that if Jesus will touch him, he can be healed. He can be healed. He can have his sight restored. He can again see. And the one thing that we see from from this very thing is they recognized the source of where this man's blindness could be healed. They recognized that his only hope was what? Coming to Christ. They didn't they didn't take him any they didn't take him to the Pharisees, they didn't take him to the temple, they didn't take him to some witch doctor on top of the hill. They understood that the only way that this man would be healed from his blindness was to be touched by Jesus Christ. There's no other place for him to go to be healed. What can we draw from that? There's only one place where spiritual blindness can be relieved. There's only one place that you can come There's only one person who has the ability to cure. And so often people are looking in so many places for spiritual enlightenment. They get involved in in religions and they read books. They read self-help books. They read books about the Bible. They read books about other religions and other leaders. And they're looking in all of these places to get spiritual enlightenment. There are those who think that they can work their way to heaven. If they're just good enough, they can work their way there. Because after all, if they do more good than bad, God will accept them. And they somehow believe that they can be good enough for God. But at least this man's friends got it right. They understood that the only place that true spiritual light can come from is Jesus Christ. And if you are looking for true spiritual light, there is only one place that you can go. And that is to Jesus Christ. That's why he said there is salvation in no other name, right? Under heaven given among men where you buy you what? Must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, what? But by me. And we must recognize, like this man's friends, if we are going to find true spiritual light, if we are going to find salvation, it must be only through one way, through one person, through the person of Jesus Christ. If we put our faith in anything else, in any other way, we are doomed. If we think that somehow we will get true spiritual light, 
A marshal in Napoleon's army, a man who was devoutly and enthusiastically attached to him, was mortally wounded on the battlefield. As the last struggle drew near and he lay dying in his tent, he sent for his chief. Napoleon came. The poor man thought his emperor could do anything. Perhaps he even sought to put him in place of God. So he earnestly pleaded with his leader to save his life. The emperor sadly shook his head and turned away. But as the dying man felt the cold, merciless hand of death drawing on him irresistibly behind the curtain of an unseen world, he was still heard to shriek out, Save me, Napoleon, save me. In the hour of death, that soldier discovered that even the powerful Napoleon could not give him physical life. How much more tragic would that be if that was spiritual life? That you placed your trust in something else, hoping in something else, hoping in someone else, only to die helplessly shrieking because you have put your trust in something that is not true. There is salvation in no other. Jesus is the only hope for spiritual life. Well, we've seen the place that he comes. But now we're going to see the process of healing, the process of healing. We see this in the next verses, starting in verse 23. Taking the blind man by his hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. So here is Jesus responding to the request of his friends. But Jesus takes this man and he takes him by his hand and he takes him out of the village. And again, we see Christ's personal touch. Again, we see Christ spending time with an individual. He doesn't call groups. He calls individuals to himself. And so he takes this man out takes him out from the distractions of the village, maybe not wanting to show any sign to the village, but wanting to have this man's attention, he takes him out of the village. So he takes him by the hand and says, after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him. So here's Jesus doing really what he did in chapter 7. Remember when he healed the deaf and dumb man? And you might say again, remember we we talked about that, why would he spit? That just seems kind of gross, doesn't it? (laughs) Isn't that a little unsanitary? We talked about that. But again, they believed that saliva had a healing healing factor. There was a wide belief that it had healing properties. And so Jesus is again communicating with this blind man in a way that he would understand that he was about to do something with his eyes. He was about to heal him, and he was getting his attention. And so again, he lays his hands on him, 
and asked him, do you see anything? Now, this is the first time recorded in scripture that Jesus does a miracle and then asks the person a question. He says, do you see anything? Then again, he laid hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And so this man, it says, he says, I see men. Sorry, I skipped a verse. And he looked up and I see men for I see them like trees walking around. Now, here is the first time in scripture that he does a miracle and it's not complete. So what is the problem here? I bet you I know. Satan is so strong in this area that Jesus just doesn't have the power to do the miracle. Do you think that's it? Well, Jesus is God and he has power over all things and he's sovereign. We've seen every other time that he's healed, he's had no problem. If he threw out all of those demons just a little bit earlier and there were thousands of them, you think maybe he could do a little bit of blindness here. I know why. <laughs> it just came to me. Faith. This man didn't have enough faith to be healed. That's it. He only got her half done because he didn't have enough faith. Is that it? Well, there's nothing said about faith here, is there? Right? There's nothing in the context that talks about the man's faith. Well, maybe Jesus is healing in two stages here because he's got a lesson for us to learn. Well, let's go through the rest. So he says, he says, I see men, I see the men walking in. The idea is here is, is he, he looks up, he actually perceives for the first time. And the idea here is he sees the men walking around, but they're so kind of vague and out of focus. They look like trees could indicate that he had his sight earlier and that he lost it. But the idea is he sees the men. There's the article here. So apparently the 12 disciples are with Christ. In other words, they are right there with him. They have followed him and the man out of the village. And they are witnessing what Christ is doing. So he says, I see them walking around. They look like trees that move. And then it says, then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. So again, Christ puts his hands on this man and it says he puts it on his eyes and he can see. And the idea is that he looked intently. In other words, he, he, he was able to, to focus. His eyes were restored. It was back to perfect to 2020 vision, maybe better. I don't know. We say 2020 is perfect. But his eyes were completely healed and he began to see everything clearly. Clearly has the idea of actually from a distance. So he could see things close. He could see things far away. He could focus. He could see everything as good as anyone has ever seen. And so here is this man having his eyes restored back completely so that he can see everything clearly. He can see everything from a distance, everything is seen clearly. So the question still nagging, I hope, in the back of your mind and is nagging at the back of my mind is why, why 
is Christ healing in two stages here. Like, really, why? He's never done it before. Is he running out of power? Is he tired? Why would he heal in two stages? Well, remember, the 12 disciples are with him. And Christ is teaching his disciples. He is always teaching. And his miracles are never a miracle just in and of themselves. He's not just always doing miracles for physical healing. They are to demonstrate something. They are to teach a lesson. And I believe that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a lesson here this morning by this two-stage healing. Now we remember... That, and we talked about it in the introduction, that the disciples are having a hard time understanding spiritual truth. Of all people who should understand it, they should be, right? They have been with Christ. Christ has demonstrated his miracles clearly in their presence. They have been inside information that no one else has. They've had things explained to them. And yet we saw last week that they were so caught up in the material that they forgot to think spiritually and that they, Christ then goes on and asks them all of the eight questions trying to stimulate them to think spiritually. And he asks them, do you not understand? Do you not understand? And he, le- he, he leaves it with that. Do you not understand? Do you not remember? Do you not understand? He's frustrated maybe to some degree with them, maybe pleading, hoping that at some point the disciples will start to see spiritual truth. And so as Christ comes now and teaches, and as he heals this blind man, he is about to give them a lesson. Not only is he the source, is he the place to come for spiritual healing, but he is the one who must give spiritual healing and that he often reveals spiritual truth in stages. He often reveals spiritual truth in stages. The disciples have been given truth. They have been given the witness of who Jesus Christ is. They have seen his miracles And yet they are very much like this blind man was after the first stage of healing. They kind of starting to see who Christ is, but they're really not clear on him. Now, I believe that they are already saved here. They have been called, right? Christ said, He called them, I chose you, I chose you to bear fruit, I called you, but they are with Jesus, and they cannot see. He has given them light, he has taught them, but they are spiritually slow. Now I would say this, if we look at this man, he he submitted to Christ, he followed Christ, He allowed Christ to take him. But I want you to notice that the initiative for spiritual light is whose? Jesus. 
Jesus is the one who saw, who took him. Jesus is the one who laid his hands on him. And so it is when we come to salvation, is it not? God is the God is the one who calls us. He's the one who opens our eyes. He's the one who draws us to himself. John 6:44, no one can come to the Father except what? The Father draws him. And we understand that spiritual light and salvation can only come from who? From God. It is God's initiative. It is God's will. He will decide. He's the one who's, who heals us spiritually, and he will decide who he heals. And so there are those who are out there who do not know him, whom he calls, and he reaches out, and he grabs them, and he brings them to themselves. It is a touch of Jesus Christ that brings them to themselves, to himself. And so God is the one who elects and brings people to salvation. It is God who seeks men and brings them to himself. And much like this blind man, God puts his Holy Spirit on him, regenerates him, gives him life, and he sees spiritually. But when we come to salvation, it says that we receive the mind of Christ. Now that's a mind-boggling thought to begin with. But it does not mean that you know everything that Christ knows. What it means is now that you have the ability to be spirit-taught by the Holy Spirit and to understand spiritual things. But when you come to salvation, you don't know everything God doesn't just download every spiritual concept and every spiritual idea in your mind and so when we come we are often like this blind man we're immature our thoughts are hazy we, 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 we see Christ but we, we don't see him clearly we don't see all the things of God clearly and much like the disciples we are those who are Slow, those who do not see it clearly. But here's the good news. Christ doesn't leave the man in this spot. He doesn't just say, hey, you know what? You're not seeing clearly, but at least you're in. That's good enough for me. See you later. We'll see you at the end. We'll just leave you hazy. What does Jesus do? He continues to see it through. He continues to three, he lays his hands on him until he sees everything clearly. Now remember the disciples, they didn't see things clearly. They start to see it clearly. In fact, we're, we're gonna see in, in the next verses, we're gonna see uh, it would seem like some real insight. And Peter's gonna declare that Jesus is the Christ and you're gonna say, They've got it. And then Jesus is going to say, well, I've come to die. And then they're going to say, hey, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, you're not. And start to rebuke him. And again, we see that they still do not see things fully and clearly. But there will come a time after Christ's 
death and resurrection, when the Holy Spirit comes, they will see all of these things clearly. And they will have all of these things revealed to them. And so it is with us. When we are saved, we often don't see things clearly. But God gives us his word and he gives us the Holy Spirit and he continues to teach us and he continues to open our eyes until we start to see Christ clearly, until we start to see the truths of the word of God clearly, until we start to see God for who he is. And here's one of the comforting things is that Jesus doesn't leave us where we're at. He doesn't just say, you know what? You're blind. You're, you're, you're just kind of dull. You don't see too well. And I'm had it with you. Right? He doesn't say, figure it out for yourself. I hope, it, I hope you finally figure it out because I, I, I've had enough. You have got to be the slowest pupil I've ever had. See you later. He doesn't do that. Philippians tells us, he who began a good work will be what? Faithful to complete it in you. Now that's a promise for salvation, that he will never lose you. But ultimately we know that when he saved us, he said in Romans that he would conform us to the image of his son and he will do that. And in doing that, we have to have the knowledge of what he wants from us. And so he says that he will give us and continue to come and to give us knowledge. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word, to teach us the truths of the word of God. So that we're not like the blind man and we're left looking around hoping to get better. That's why Paul says we see faint dimly now in the mirror, but eventually what? We'll see him face to face. We will see everything clearly. And one of, the, one of the greatest comforts that we can take is that Jesus does not give up on us. He does not just throw us to the wind, but that he is the one who is faithful not only to give us spiritual sight, but to sharpen our spiritual sight of him until he comes. And so we don't have to be those who are just completely dependent upon our own power and our own abilities and our own studies and our own intellect. But we can go to the word of God and we can be taught by the Holy Spirit and we can be touched by Jesus Christ. For some of us today, we've, we've never had our eyes opened at all. For some of us, we have looked at this and, and we see this and we're just like, I, I don't get it. I just can't accept it. I, I don't understand this whole thing about Jesus dying on the cross. I don't understand the thing about God being wrathful over sin. I don't think I'm that bad. And so we, we, we need to, to ask Jesus to open our eyes, to grant us repentance that we don't have because we are in desperate need of a touch from him. And maybe we're a believer here today and we've, we've had our eyes open, but we're like this blind man. We're stumbling around. We don't see things clearly. God doesn't want us to stay there. 
He wants us to grow, to grow to maturity, to, to know Him, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so we need to ask Him to open our eyes, to grant us spiritual light, that we might know Him better, that we might worship Him more, that He might be glorified in us. So we've seen the, the place of spiritual light. We've seen the process. God opens our eyes, gives us light, continues to grow us in spiritual truth. And then it says, maybe the postscript, and he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Now that's not uncommon for Christ to say to someone that he's healed, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. But here, maybe, maybe Christ is learning in his humanity, and he says, don't even go in the village. He's not even going to give him a chance to go in. It's hard to tell anybody if you're not there, right? He says, don't go into the village. Don't go in there. Go home. So it's apparent that he didn't live in Bethsaida, because he's, if he lived in Bethsaida, it'd be hard to go home if he wasn't allowed to go in the village, right? So here's this man from another village, and he's told not to go into the village. Why? Why is he not to go into the village? Well, partly because Christ said he wouldn't give a sign, right? Partly because Christ is, is not wanting the, the hoopla of a crowd. But I think there's another reason as well. I think he's doing it out of judgment. He's doing it out of judgment. How so? Well, Christ has demonstrated that once people reject him and willfully reject him like the Pharisees, that he turns from them. That he no longer gives them light. He no longer gives them any hope. And here Jesus is saying to this man, go around Bethsaida. Don't go there. Don't pronounce me. Don't pronounce what I have done. Because I am turning my back on Bethsaida. In fact, I am turning my, my back on all of the crowds because this is really the, the turning point where Christ will now almost exclusively teach his disciples and be with his disciples. In Matthew eleven thirty one and 32, Jesus declared, Woe unto thee, Cherizin, woe unto you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And Jesus has pronounced, was pronouncing the woes upon this city. This city that had witnessed so many of his miracles. This, this city that had been close to the feeding of the 5,000. This one that had so many works done in it. And yet they had been hardened to the truth. And rather than seeing Jesus for who he was, they were rejected him. And Jesus turns around and says, listen. It would have been better for you on that day... It will be better for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Now that's astounding. Tyre and Sidon were wicked, wicked Gentile cities, displeasing to God. 
And Jesus is saying, listen, because of the light that I have given to you, because I have demonstrated who I am so clearly with you, I have given you so much evidence, and you have willfully chosen not to take the evidence to where it goes. He says, it is better for you, it will be better for those wicked, wicked cities who knew nothing about me than for you on the day of judgment. In other words, there is going to be a deeper, deeper, and more horrible punishment for Bethsaida than for those wicked Gentiles who are God-haters and who are corrupt because they had seen the truth, they had heard the truth, and they refused to hear it. That's a dreadful pronouncement. And I will say this, I will say this from this pulpit, and I will say it loud and clear. Do not go to the hell from the pew of Bowmanville Baptist Church. You have been given the gospel. You have been given the light of Jesus Christ. It has been clearly declared to you here. You are heaping up judgment for you on your head as you sit and listen to the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ being displayed through the pages of scripture. And you will be like Bethsaida on the day of judgment. It is not too late. Understand that Jesus is the place where you can get spiritual light. Cry out to him that he will touch you. Cry out that he will have mercy upon you. Cry out that he will grant you the repentance that you don't have. The repentance maybe that you don't want. But cry out, come to him. Pray that he will open your spiritual eyes. That you might come to know him. So that this postscript does not become yours. He is the only hope for spiritual life. He is the only hope to bring salvation. If you're a believer here this morning, are you walking around like this blind man, seeing Jesus Christ like a walking tree? Are you growing in grace? Are you studying the word of God? Are you calling upon the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, to illuminate his word that you might know him? Are you satisfied with seeing things blurry? Or do you want to see the Savior clear, precisely for who he is? It is only then that your worship will be deep. Only then will your love for him grow. Only then will you be conformed to his image because you cannot be conformed to something you cannot see. Let us learn from this miracle. Let us learn from this healing that Jesus is the source of spiritual light. Let us turn to him Let us love him. Let him bring light into your life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity. We thank you for its depth. And we again pray 
that we would be those who have spiritual sight, that we would first know you for salvation, and then we would know you intimately as we come to know you through the page of scriptures illuminated by your Holy Spirit who empowers us to know you. We thank you that it's not dependent on our self-effort, but is dependent upon your power. May we see Jesus again. May we love him. May he be the one who we long to see. In your name, amen.